0: If Vertigo gave you Vertigo instead of being a psychological thriller, in honor of Need for Speed, what's a cinematic moment that gave you a visceral, visceral reaction?
1: I'm Katie Rich, and the first one I remember is Apollo 13, which is probably the first time I ever intellectually understood what it meant for a movie to build tension, and boy, did it ever.
0: Hey, it's me, Dave with the Seven. There's something about how uncomfortable I was while watching the building scaling for Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol in IMAX that I won't soon forget.
2: And I am Patches, and I'm going to go with the black-and-white prelude uh, to Casino Royale because gritty is a word we throw around too often, but damn, that's gritty. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine,
0: I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through
1: fine.
2: I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm
0: fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine.
2: It's, it's a podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 14 for Tuesday, March 11th, 2014. our review of Enemy last week, we spent a little bit of time talking about the way that this movie deals with masculinity. And Devin Faraci, in a way that I think he does better than just about anyone, just made a very broad blanket statement, which is that we are in a time of masculine crisis. and We have art that is dealing with the idea of what it means to be a man. And, you know, in this era in which we're all sitting at desks all day and no one is killing a bear to protect their family or, you know, there's many variations on it. And
2: then... Dave's already interrupting. What? it because I'm I sorry. the word
1: bear? Talk really?
2: about masculine <laughs> crisis.
0: It was a little <laughs> bit of that. But also, I mean, I think what, what he was talking about is that there's this natural reaction for men to stand up and try to redefine themselves in the amphitheater of these large social discussions about things like feminism and gay rights and what have Like you. Because
1: there's discussion of feminism and gay rights meant... like regular straight white men feel the need to reassert themselves
0: yes and we're just you know sort of more ape-like about it so we're not coming off as you know <laughs> awesomely as these other people are in forwarding our uh, gender yeah
1: all right um so having talked about enemy i then watched uh, the episode of true detective from last week the uh, episode seven of the eight-part series um in which i mean we're gonna be talking about true detective later so spoilers for a series it's over um in which michelle monahan's character maggie sleeps with matthew mcconaughey's character rust because that is what will get Woody harrelson i don't think she around.
2: really sleeps with him
1: okay she has she has sex with him how's that
2: she <laughs> okay, says good.
1: slept with that's her euphemism of choice so i was just following her lady like yeah i don't know anyway. if it counts
2: i don't think you slept with someone who put uh, like hunched you over their kitchen let's get, counter. Let's,
1: let's get graphic. Okay. Says
2: you. Oh, she seems okay. to really like it.
1: <laughs> um, she has sex with him as a way of getting her husband to stay away from her because she knows that is the thing that will absolutely hurt him the most. And it absolutely does. He goes nuts. They get in a big fight and the episode kind of ends. Or it comes close to ending with them getting in this massive parking lot fight. Um, and yeah, thing, you
0: switched they's a couple of times, but that's okay.
1: Yeah, sorry. The people have already also, watched
0: True Detective, or we yeah, ruined it. So the it doesn't men matter. get
1: in a big fight because one of them slept with the other one's wife, um, which is a th- something that happens plenty of times. And an enemy in particular, there is a moment in which Jake Gyllenhaal's character is kind of standing in the mirror and practicing the speech. It was like, "You fuck my wife," because that is, you know, it sounds like he's quoting lines from Goodfellas, basically. And I realize that though that is a trope and there are many tropes in film and television that are used for reasons and because they are authentic and I, you know, it worked for the characters that were built. I'm really kind of exhausted of explorations of masculinity specifically like that, that relate to who has this woman and who slept with whose wife and who was threatened by what in relation to the women in their lives. And I think there are so many really interesting ways to explore masculinity, which both True Detective and Enemy do another point. So that I kind of really rebelled against that one element of it. It was kind of a... I think the cracks have shown in True Detective for various people at various points, and we can talk about that more later, but that was one where I felt like it was the least imaginative route to go for exploring how these guys dealt with their own masculinity.
0: I mean, I'm not going to argue necessarily that I think that trope, playing on that trope, was a good thing for True Detective or not, but I definitely see why they did it, because especially... I mean the inter- the why I think the true detective arguing that you know doesn't have strong female characters or using the wife character as a way for the you know two male characters to sort of interact with each other
1: which is not what I'm arguing about specifically but
0: what what all, what are you arguing about that like True Detective did when it couldn't have done anything else.
1: Well, because I think True Detective has these interesting things with the way these men relate to daughters that they've had in their lives or even who women who they want to sleep with and the way that they treat them kind of poorly, like when uh, Marty winds up paying for the prostitute who's the who was a girl who protected years earlier. But I think the idea of, like, this is my wife, this is my woman, and you have betrayed me. You, the worst thing you could possibly do is sleep with my wife and the worst thing your wife could possibly do. It's just that ownership quality that I think is the least interesting way that men define themselves by their relationships to women. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, that does. But it sounds like, you know, I'm I'm definitely going to go alter devil, devil's advocate here. But why why do you get to tell me that? Oh, why I mean, should I, my media be held responsible to that from you that you're because tired I, of seeing? I feel, like
1: your media, I feel like media has shown it a lot. Like, I feel like that's... Been a really common trope for what will tear up a character the most is some kind of woman betrayal or some kind of sense of a woman who he had control over who he no longer does. I mean, we were talking about Casino Royale earlier, like it's a common James Bond thing when he's betrayed by a woman who he slept with. And it's boring. I think there are a lot more interesting ways to explore masculinity, as I was saying, and as I think True Detective did a good job of for a lot of points. And I think culture and storytelling in general has gotten away from that into much more interesting versions of it. Which is why I was disappointed to see True Detective go that way.
2: I'm curious if you think, Katie, that um, ideas of masculinity and the exploration of the topic um, where examples of of nuance are kind of swallowed up in the fact that it's over explored or at least it's explored in plain obvious ways in big action movies or you know, hard-hitting dramas that are targeting male audiences, perhaps. I mean, uh, people who who want to explore this topic more can probably go back to our conversation on the Bechdel test and how, you know, there's an abundance of male voices in the pop culture scene, not enough women to really balance it out, and this is a macro problem. And I'm wondering if you think... I mean, I see True Detective as a nuanced version of this, of this story, of this I for exploration, most- you know, dealing not just with... Masculinity but masculinity in relation to cosmology and philosophy and kind of archetypes going beyond just the pursuit of women and ownership and that dichotomy between these two men but, um, but larger forces and tr- trying to take a different direction at maybe uh, ground that has been covered over and over again. And so you lose the nuance because this seems like it's repeating and I think the same thing about enemy which I think is a, more about the media – portrayal of masculinity um especially it's funny that you mentioned um jake gyllenhaal standing in the mirror repeating these lines that sound like he's prep well he's an actor he's preparing for a movie it sounds like taxi driver or something um that's nuanced version of this conversation that seems to be swallowed up how do you how do you escape that or or do we not bother telling those stories anymore is it lost
1: um if it's i mean that version of masculinity is lost i mean what i'm saying is that i feel like it's kind of pretty well-trod territory or i mean is I it like. a
2: lost cause to try and tell a nuanced story
1: no i mean i, I mean nuance wasn't really what i was thinking of but just a, a new way to do it i was thinking of one of my favorite movies from last year pain and gain which is about masculinity and people dealing with their sense of their macho selves in relation to what america is and it's fascinating and it's so... Full but a lot of, of people of were infuriated
2: archetypes. by the masculinity in that movie and I know, kind of its but I relation it's, to homosexual issues and the treatment of women and that still bothered yeah. people. That still rubbed people the wrong way and I've seen a lot of people kind of give up. You know, it's not... It's, they acknowledge the fact that it makes story sense but here it's like we're just so bored by the topic of masculinity that it can no well, longer be explored. Well, not, How, what I'm does not it have to push? I'm, bored
1: by, I'm not bored by the topic of masculinity. I'm bored by only exploring it through these very limited avenues.
0: I have a comparison. And Kate, you tell me if I'm way off base. I might be. But it sounds like you're saying that the he slept with my wife and now I have to beat the crap out of you dynamic as a way of looking into masculinity is perhaps how I feel tired about the slave narrative as a way of talking about American slave guilt.
1: Uh, American slave guilt or white guilt? Slave guilt. Wait. I don't understand how a, <laughs>
0: define slave. how are you guilt. supposed
1: to talk about slave guilt other than talking about a slave narrative
0: what i mean I feel like we're getting I'm,
1: off topic here but I'm, I'm no no we talked
0: about how like i no, mentioned I know, that sir, the vanity fair mean. piece was a more interesting way to approach the realities of a slave narrative without having this you know me to see somebody whipped for not picking enough cotton again
1: well i Mind seeing dudes beat the crap out of each other for whatever reason, but I think that specific motivator is tired and doesn 't feel as authentic as a lot of the other things that have been explored in better or uh, you know more interesting movies that explore masculinity that well, i'm, I'm and curious' in other areas of true detective
2: i'm i'm curious uh one if true detective does delve into some aspect of masculinity that you find interesting and perhaps more other other movies that seem to escape the gravitational force of of uh, of masculine yeah you know, these let's truces. do the latter half of that question let's yeah. not do the first half okay oh
1: sure i mean i was thinking of the place beyond the pines which is a really interesting study of fathers and sons it's not really as much in relation uh, about how they relate to women but i think there's a lot of questions about masculinity over generations in that and they're also kind of terrible people but and, and
2: yet derek Sion france takes a lot of flack for being overly um focused on masculinity the after I blue mean, valentine think- and we see that in place beyond the pines
1: i mean i think place beyond the pines is more interesting than blue valentine i don't think anyone who wants to address masculinity in their work deserves flack for it if they do it well it's overall it's probably something we've seen explored at the expense of plenty of other things that we might need to see more movies about but there are ways to do it well pain and gain as i was mentioning before i mean i like a lot of i like movies about how men relate to men and there's when they're done well it's when it's about how they own women that I get a lot less interested. So mm. someone,
2: someone recently asked me, you know, over drinks or something, because we get lost in these stupid conversations as we do um, about what the modern definition of being a man is and and what it means. Because there's archaic definitions of that, and perhaps these movies that are exploring masculinity are too focused on old school values of what being a man is all about. That we're not really seeing a 21st century definition of of manhood, masculinity being explored on screen. Um, the one thing that comes to my mind is a movie people will see very shortly, I think in April, called Locke, uh, starring Tom Hardy, which is all about responsibility uh, and how he kind of flubs his responsibilities in some regards or has to prioritize um, work over family or family over work or his his mistakes over both. Um, and I think that, for me, is is... A, a forward step in the conversation about masculinity that still seems mostly because it's not broy. In some ways, he's, well, he's, right. he's all mean, alone I, in that movie. He's alone in a car, uh, atoning it's not about for how men sins. To
1: the other men—it's about how one man relates to himself. Yeah, It's yeah. more interesting. Although I, I mean, was gonna—I yeah. was gonna bring up super bad in defense of something that's broy and I think explores masculinity in a really interesting way about people trying to grow up at a very young age or trying to figure out what it is to be a man and how to. And how to treat women and not act like they own them. It comes to a really interesting point in what it means, in what it's trying to say about that in the context of something Broey.
0: I mean, as a way to close out, I have to ask Katie, did you just say you don't like Fight Club? <laughs> oh,
1: God. I haven't seen Fight Club in so long. Maybe I don't. Maybe if I went back and looked at it. What, what, did, what specifically makes you think I wouldn't like Fight Club?
0: Oh, because it's a discussion of masculinity in the mid-90s uh, no, spe- I, in like well, with consumerism. How does, no, how does Fight Club define I, it? I've
1: been saying I like discussions of masculinity.
0: Well, I mean, Fight Club defines it sort of like Katie. how Katie doesn't like it, but the thing is, is it's a guy stealing a woman from himself, so it sort of negates the whole thread thing maybe anyway fight club,
1: maybe i give fight club a pass because i feel like it started this like so many people saw fight club and they're like yeah it would be fucked up if you stole your girlfriend from yourself and then that's why
0: well i would say to anybody that is curious as to whether fight club is guilty of this sin or not uh youtube the scene where tyler durden has this little speech in the bathtub about a generation of uh, men raised by women and that basically sums up the movie's <laughs> attitude towards masculinity <laughs>
1: And I invite you to try and pitch me on a gender-reverse version of this. And there are two women who are completely psychologically fucked up by one boyfriend sleeping with the, another girl. I can't imagine it. I don't think it works. And that that indicates to me that maybe we should try and try something new. Wait,
2: what? *Romeo oh, and Michelle? Okay. Or, yeah, no, I, no, I, I think know.
0: there are a lot of movies there is what Katie described. But we'll, to be continued.
1: Wait, but the, take it. All right.
0: All right. So this week I was saddled with a continuing game series. Well, I only say "saddled" to make the penalty for losing this round even more extreme. I have eleven questions. We're going to do this family feud style. Yeah, we did not come up with a
2: fun name for this segment.
0: No, we did not. There is no just a ripoff. Dave rhymes with nothing that (laughs) is matches. Anyway, um, we're. I guess we're feuding in the war room. Yeah. There's 11 questions. I'm going to ask Patches first, and I'll say give him two minutes uh, to answer it. I'm not sure that he'll need it. Um, then Katie will come in and answer the questions. She will definitely have only two minutes. Answer as many as she can. If you guys could match five out of the 11 I will do another version of this game that is better and harder. <laughs> and if you guys don't, then you're both on the hook for a mini-segment game in the future. Right, I don't know. So this sounds
2: like a lose-lose competition, but okay. Here. Yeah, I'm not sure
1: what we win.
0: The listeners win because they get more trivia either that's way. True, that's that's true. True. It's just somebody has to do the work
2: in the future.
1: Um, tell me when I should take off my headphones.
0: All right, Katie, take off your headphones. Look at the Skype chat. I'll chat um, you when you want to come back in. You should
2: done. probably just delete this part where you don't have to actually okay, to explain here we go. how it works to get-
0: <laughs> Good, She said done, so we're ready to go. Alright, All right, patches, you ready?
2: Yes. Let's we're do have this. Two
0: minutes. Starting out. So okay. If you were an international spy, how would you take your martini? Um shaken, not stirred. A reason Harrison Ford character
2: does something. Um oh uh, uh, get off my plane. <laughs> I'm going to be bad at this, game. A
0: movie with a damsel in distress. Wait, what was that? A movie with a damsel in distress. Um, Princess Bride. Um, an impressive Meryl Streep performance. Oh,
2: my gosh. Um, uh, Sophie's Choice, which is what I just had to make to pick that movie. (laughs) A memorable time machine. Um, The Time Machine. No, I show it. No, wait, no, 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 no. The DeLorean from Back to the Future. um someone besides
0: wadsworth the butler who committed the murder in clue um scarlet miss scarlet something a man would be locked in a room with in an alfred hitchcock film um a rope a romantic comedy where the lead has a profession we never see him or her practice
2: oh god um wait the movie title or or the the profession either way (laughs) i guess oh my god um lawyer Okay, interesting.
0: Um, something you'd make a Spielberg face at? Uh, a big dinosaur. Most racially offensive character? Oh my god! Um, uh,
2: Jar Jar Binks. And a movie David Ehrlich secretly likes? Ha! Um, Transformers Three, Dark of the Moon. It's not such a secret, but. He All likes
0: right. It. <laughs> we'll usher, usher Katie back hey katie you ready cool. to go that was
2: that, yeah. was that was a whirlwind that was exciting <laughs>
0: yeah, all right. right you get Let's do this
2: katie you yeah right. I, get I get to, get to listen you.
0: yeah right. he also gets to rule. make sure that my i could read my catch scratch of his answers because it turns <laughs> out timed answers and writing it down and timing it all very difficult that's true so okay we're gonna go through all the questions i'm not gonna time you katie but you don't have a lot of time to answer these questions okay your goal is to answer what patch is answered not necessarily your answer. Oh,
1: what patches answered. Okay. Yes. Is to, this Family Feud style where it's all numbers, or is this just... No, this no, This is no. Family Feud style,
2: except you have to match five. Also, five have you watched a Family Feud? That's not, what do you mean, all numbers? No,
1: at the end, where it's like, oh, no, I you're have right. not I have not polled anybody like, else. That's and points. <laughs> yes. <laughs> God damn
2: it. Don't worry. I, I tried to channel you saying these answers, so...
0: Yes, five out of 11.
1: Okay. All right.
0: If you were an international spy, how would you take your martini?
1: Up with Lemon.
0: Are you out of your mind? Anyway, I don't know. keep going, I don't know what keep going, keep going. Say? keep going. Keep going. A reason a Harrison Ford character does something.
1: Uh, he killed my wife.
2: Damn it. My answer didn't make sense. Don't worry.
1: A, m- a movie with a
0: damsel in distress.
1: Your Highness.
2: What?
0: <laughs> oh, this game is going to improve when you guys do it. Horrible. <laughs> An impressive Meryl Streep performance. Sophie's Choice.
1: Yeah! Dang, yeah.
0: <laughs> A memorable time machine. The DeLorean. Yes! Dang.
2: Good thing I changed my answer. It's... <laughs> I almost say? said the time machine. That the time been... machine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Someone besides Wadsworth, the butler, who committed the murder in Clue. Uh,
1: Mrs. White. <clears throat> what? Mrs. Flames all over the side of my face. Technically,
0: they all did. That's why that answer is, so it's such a great question. um Something a man would be locked in a room with in an Alfred Hitchcock film
1: uh a phone what? a phone What's locked in rooms in a Hitchcock movie.
0: Man, you are not getting into you just the have to make, you of this have game. You have to make these things up. Katie. He was answering the these as fast as possible. Yeah. All right. <laughs> a romantic. Okay. <laughs> this was <is> bad. What? <laughs> a romantic comedy where the lead has a profession we never get to see him or her practice.
1: Oh God. Uh. I thought um, this would
0: be easier than it was. Apparently.
1: Wow. Love Actually? Maybe.
0: I that said the At least is an
1: answer. You said the professional. Yeah. Hatches
0: said lawyer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I didn't hear the question. I was too I was too crazed. Uh, he was I he was you into said
1: it. the professional that would have been a really weird answer.
0: <laughs> Something you'd make a Spielberg face at.
1: Uh an alien flying away. What the uh, hell? At the end of ET.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh I I think that that clinched it for losing, but let's let's go for this. <laughs> a movie David Ehrlich secretly likes.
1: Oh secretly um Bride Wars
0: Transformers 3
1: that's not secret
2: yeah I know it's not secret but it's something that he likes
0: much like Family Feud the unpredictability of the contestant before you plays a big part in this game
2: (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say that I was incorrect in saying all the Clue characters commit murder Mr. Green does not commit a murder that That is
1: correct Mrs. White is a good answer
2: The dusty mason, her looming shadow grows. Hidden in the branches of the poison creosote, she twines. So last Sunday was the final episode of True Detective, the show that we mentioned in segment one very briefly, HBO's acclaimed. A uh, crime anthology drama, whatever we're going to call it. uh I guess it's they. Uh, they kind of uh suggested there would be a season two by saying this was the season no, finale there, and not the series finale. There's definitely,
1: there's definitely a season two. It's already been. Has
2: that confirmed? I know that uh, that I know that Carrie Joji Fukunaga is not returning to direct no. season two. But anyway, or, he uh, wrapped up. That what? Oh. I-
0: I I think that they are – it's basically assumed there's going to be a season two, but HBO won't officially announce until they get their cast locked in is what I've heard. I read somewhere actually Alan Sepinwall of HitFix
2: did an interview with uh, the creator of the show, Nick – pizzolato and in the interview he teased season two as being some sort of like exploration of the history of bridges or something the occult
0: of the american transit authority
2: yes that sounds that
1: is amazing that sounds
2: pretty wonderful to me but anyway let's get back to the conclusion of season one of true detective i made a joke on twitter after it aired while other people were struggling to get hbo go to function um that's I thought people might be relatively unhappy with this uh, conclusion, mostly because um, I think people got really distracted during True Detective. Now, let me let me flesh this out, because I got I caught a lot of flack for making yeah. this claim. Um, I thought I you thought
0: who loves mysteries. Yes, I am surprised you're so mystery. angry with the red herrings, but let's do it.
2: Well, I'm not, I'm not angry with the red herrings. I appreciate red herrings and I like theorizing, but I think it started to really distract people in a negative way for this one. Um, I found the conclusion of true detective to be very fulfilling, has some thrills, some bromance, some, uh, tying up some philosophical arcs. Um, you know, nihilism can have its, uh, can have holes of light poked into it. I like, I like all these concepts and I really like how it played out. I mean, it's elegantly directed as always. It's not, uh, Um, You know, the greatest show of all time, as some proclaimed it uh, by episode three. But it was a very fulfilling uh, experiment in storytelling, especially for American television. Um, But I do think that people got really distracted with this week to week rollout, um, which is funny that I even have to say that uh, our our colleague Mark Harris
1: was for decades. until Yes,
2: our colleague Mark Harris made an astute point on Sunday night stating that, um, you know, if you want people to keep talking about your show for some time, don't let all the episodes out, you know, making, poking fun at House of Cards on Netflix, Um, which I actually think, I wish there was some sort of in-between because the role, the weekly rollout of True Detective ended up working against it, in my opinion, because of all this theorizing, because it became so arbitrary and it became so detail-oriented. Again, we, you know, Katie, when we talked about Enemy last week, I referenced an article by our colleague Matt Singer on The Dissolve about people, um, the CSI, the the Cinema Scene Investigators, or whatever the claim he made, that people are picking apart the shows instead of um, allowing the mystery to wash over them and really focus on the characters, which I think is what Nick Pizzolatto really cares about. And certainly from interviews with Kerry Fukunaga and Nick, um, that I think they found the show to be, distracting to viewers that all these red herrings and these little clues things they didn't even think were intentional when people started when people caught wind of the yellow king and then started seeing the crown in the background of that one shot and like i mean i kept uh, on twitter the other night i said there was like carrie matheson from uh what's it called that show
1: homeland ah! homeland, homeland.
2: Homeland. Homeland, yeah, you Homeland. know, with her like board and her string and it's like making connections and trying to figure crack the case. But it's beyond cracking the case. It's hoping for twists and trying to write them yourself. This is beyond solving the mystery, Dave, th- as you I mentioned. Think that's,
0: I think that's where you make your leap is assuming that it's I mean, I don't agree. I agree that some people uh set themselves up for a conclusion that was impossible and was not supported by all the context clues. But, I mean, in a society where we learn critical thinking of art by breaking down the Lord of the Flies chapter by chapter, I can't imagine that, you know, having to wait and spend more time analyzing a huh. certain chapter of a larger story, as long as you know that it's a certain chapter of a larger story, is detrimental to the work itself. Well,
2: I. it's interesting that you point to that, I think that's very astute that maybe we're brought up because of the way we read books in high school and middle school and stuff that we're, we're, we're taught to break things into chunks and dissect them to death and not really enjoy them as a dramatic whole. Um, that's very on point. I do think that I was really enjoying True Detective – when the whole Yellow King conversation came up and we started uh, contextualizing it within its cultural influences, I find that very fascinating. Uh, it went beyond that around like episode four or five uh, when people, I think people were starting to dissect, you know, uh, Rust, Matthew McConaughey's character making. Can men on his desk, and like connecting that to the dolls, and connecting that to the daughter, and how is the daughter going to be involved, and maybe she's in on it, or maybe she's been molested, or maybe Russ's daughter was murdered by the man with the green ears, and ah, and it, I I just exploded. It became less about the the influences that Pizzolato is drawing upon and kind of infusing into this uh, masculine story of his, and and more about finding the clues, which. Is actually what the show is about because a lot of the time these other cops are accusing Matthew, Matthew McConaughey of, of conjuring up this mystery or like yeah. being over analytical about certain things and kind of missing the obvious. That's the whole point of the show, right? You, you meet the detective, you meet first. the bad guy in the first or second episode, he's sitting right in front of you, he's got scars all over his face. Someone look closely enough and stop being so obtuse that you could solve this, you could solve this mystery. And that's the problem with everyone. No one will take a macro look even on a weekly week to week basis that they can't enjoy the show.
0: Well, I mean, I've been having a lot of conversations with people about, you know, what you like. I I don't want to say that people who feel like this uh, finale somehow let them down, weren't watching the show correctly, because I feel like that's something I'm not allowed to say to other people, but I do feel like the show set out from the very beginning exactly what it was going to be. And just because we allowed our, you know, fandom and enjoyment of the series to build us up to a climax we couldn't go for, I can't, like, I I can't imagine being the creators of this show and not just reveling in everybody finding yellow crowns in the background of your shot because I don't think it would in any way, like, they were finished. They know that it wasn't corrupting a narrative. It was just signs of...
2: I want to know if people are listening. By the,
1: I, I feel like as a creator, I'd be frustrated. I feel like people were missing the forest for the trees. Like they're fo- yeah. fixating on who the Yellow King is while not really paying attention to the way that the relationship between Rust and Marty is developing, which I think we learn in the end of the series is really what – we're focused on it, ends on this note of the two about the two of them really and about their worldviews. Which I mean, I think the you know, you met um, Russ spends the first four episodes or so driving around in a car just spouting philosophy, and it's hard to follow, and it's interesting. It made him this fascinating character, and then everyone kind of stopped talking about that and followed clues. and I think I would have found that frustrating if I were Nick Pizzolato.
0: Well, I mean, but that's that's understandable, but it it's is not like it it's not is. like. If those clues are part of his text, he's responsible for that. So in some ways, like he's responsible for what's on screen. So he can't feel bad that there's a yellow crown back there, but he can feel sad that you aren't interacting in the way that he hoped. But I'm not sure that that's what I want creators doing is manipulating to that degree where they get angry if you have another interaction with it. You know, no, if, I mean, if he misplaces a comma in one of his novels, I would hope that he would be open to us telling <laughs> him that he misplaced a comma.
1: I mean, it reminds me a lot, and it, we talked about this when Breaking Bad ended, of the kind of sleuthing that went on with that. And, and it, to a certain extent, Breaking Bad was a show that encouraged that more. It did drop Easter eggs in the you know the beginning of one season to be paid off at the very end of it. It was very intricately plotted in a way that Intruder mean, Detective had a strong plot, but it wasn't quite like that. But I, I what, let wait. It, what it, what it, do you mean? What do you mean? Like, I mean, there was a lot of, like, you I could tell you the
0: story of Sam Tuttle from the 1930s and his satanistic child molestation No, crime but, like, period. Breaking Bad
1: would start flashing forward to a plane crash at the beginning of the season. You only realize it's a plane crash halfway through. Like, it was set up like a puzzle box in a way that I don't think True Detective was. That is true. Detective. Um, and it encouraged that kind of thinking, <laughs> but then it also let people down when it didn't have some kind of crazy, huge puzzle revolution at the end of it. It was a much more straightforward story. Than people who'd gotten themselves worked up on it. I mean, it's something that's happening a lot, and I wonder if I wonder wait, what wait. the show will be that will kind of break us of that.
0: Yeah, like, I well, mean, I think. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, go. three. Okay, I waited 10 minutes. So Lost, in a lot of ways,
1: <laughs> <This> <laughs> I seems knew that was gonna come
0: a lot like True Detective because what I've been learning as I've been doing this sort of Lost side project is that it shows that are about the characters, like the plot is there to service the characters. So if you latch onto the plot and choose to think that the characters are secondary or serving that plot, or if, you know, we're all on a flat circle and the TV show's idea of something interesting to say is that we're all on a depressing flat circle, then that's not going to be ultimately satisfying because the stories that we tell each other, like, the complete story of, you know, Jack and Jill went up the hill as they fall down and hurt themselves, or the complete story of loss is... Jack went to a magical island where he died, but then everything that you add in between those actual, you know, plot-based elements is what you latch onto emotionally and what actually propels you to watch more. So it seems like the tensions the True Detective was trying to play with, either to get you to continue watching, which is something that binge-watching suffers from, or to just be the sort of mystery that has sorts of lots of red herrings. People thought where this complete sort of plot egg when really, like, uh, th- the American audience isn't ready for a show that actually ends with Cthulhu rising from the ocean because <laughs> that sort of complex storytelling, like, you know, H.G. Lovecraft pulls off. H.G. His- Lovecraft. Whatever, H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> wow. One's a Lovecraft, one's a Wells, and they all wrote about tentacles. Anyway, um, point point being is the the American uh like popular television complexity, like what it takes to make real cosmic fear and the way it works in novels with atmosphere and whatnot, I don't know if we've stumbled across a way to do that with week to week television or just this form of storytelling. Like I can't think of a movie that's actually caused me the, you know, sorts of cosmic terror I'd have reading some sort of, you know, fiction in a book.
1: Back to what you were saying about the simplicity of the plot, what I liked about getting to the end of True Detective is realizing it's a story about men who see something terrible and the effect it has on them. There was kind of this set-up mystery in the first one, like, what takes Matthew McConaughey of 1995 and turns him into this, like, he- sh- you know shell of a human being? And what it was was exactly what we'd already seen. It was this mystery that we kind of take for granted in pop culture, you know, these grisly murders, and it's so crazy, and it really— dug into the effect that it had on them. And it was, I mean, it was right there in the tagline. The tagline on the big poster in Times Square was touch darkness and darkness touches you back. And there was such a nice simplicity to that that I really appreciated them having taken us on this kind of loop-de-loop and then come back to this really central thing that gets ignored in a lot of genre fiction.
0: Oh, definitely. And I love how it echoed back to a lot of its noir roots in the sense that this is about a story of, damaged men who are trying to find their place in society and that includes how they're supposed to interact with women so a lot of like the 1940s film noir and i understand that you know in a postmodern world you can't slap that definition on sort of any movie but like the whole femme fatale sort of arc is built out of you know soldiers coming home and finding that the women had continued to mature without them as they had you know played their war games on the other side of the world and sort of having to deal with that. So all of a sudden, you know, you leave your housewife, you know, in like recovering from the depression and you come back and she's been able to form her own life and now she has all the power and you're you're her detective. So it, it wasn't necessarily out of place for me to see, you know, Michelle Monaghan swagger to a bar with a bright red dress and red lipstick because it was wearing, I think, its influences on its sleeve and saying this is about... How they define themselves It's so history. funny.
2: I don't see this as noir, really. There, there's there got to be a line between detective fiction and noir fiction, don't you oh, think? Yeah. Like- yes.
0: I mean, that's why I, mean- I tried to add that postmodern thing is because there isn't really a definition in terms of film noir. You could describe what it is, but you can't slap its leg and definitively say, you know, like, HUD is one way or the other or Cool Hand yeah. Luke is one way or the what other.
1: I- what I learned in my uh, film noir class in college was that film noir is a style. It's not a genre that was kind of beaten into our heads. But, I mean, you have a woman in a red dress in a bar that's definitely, you know, at least hearkening back to a certain time of a style of film noir. And I think the the movies, uh, of the shows, philosophies, I think you every time you have this nihilism cropping up, that was so definitive of film noir when it first started post-war that – I think you could definitely call this a noir, even if it's got all of these other Southern Gothic elements and a ton of other stuff going on, which is what makes it a modern noir.
0: Yeah, and I really enjoy modern noir and how it finds a way to not only, you know, live within the definition itself, but now since we've had some distance echo previous American noir and sort of, you know, anchor it in our culture, given that noir comes from expressionism from another culture. So it's always nice to see us making our own culture over on this side of the pond. Yeah. Did,
1: um, did I want to talk guys... about... Oh. oh, go ahead. I'm get sorry. No, go, I was going to switch go. topics. All right. I was going to well, switch topics. talking I... about plot, which I don't think is what you wanted to do.
2: Well, actually, I, I was kind of steering that way. I, wh- where are you going? Talk to me.
1: I have a bone to pick with where the story ended that I kind of wanted to... Okay, to okay,
2: that's guys, perfect. That's, that's what exactly go what I wanted there. to okay. get to. The ending.
1: Okay, you want me to start?
2: Go. Yeah, do it.
1: Okay, so I don't mind that it all boiled down to this one baddie. As you guys were saying, it was something that was kind of telegraphed. It's, you know, it's a simpler story than that. But I don't totally buy how this one complete psychopath, who obviously was well-connected, his family, was powerful, how it turned into a religious cult, how you had people like Ledoux and you had all of these people really going out of their way to cover up some really horrible things. It it didn't quite gel for
0: well, can I step in here?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not. This is a question. I'm curious. If okay, so
0: the murderer was the last remnant of the guy who actually owned the property that the religious cult did its shit on. So there were a cult of like ten to fifteen guys in like the 30s through the 50s who would ritualistically kill children. But one of the children that they tortured was this serial killer, who then was, was left uh, on this property.
1: Uh, Errol. Errol. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, so he his mind, he's been raised in sort of this violence and this madness. He's seen the Yellow King to tie to the theme and sort of become it. So he's been mimicking these characters he's seen on videos and created this whole sort of really twisted fantasy life because he was sexually molested as a child and his face was burned because, like you know, by his father, who was the sheriff at the time.
1: So he's he's the result of abuse. He is the yeah. I had I I thought he was part of the cult, not a a victim of the cult. But that I mean, he's born from the
2: cult. He's still part of the cult activity. Just
1: the whole I don't know the whole child murdering cult and the fact that they kind of just said that is like this is a thing that existed. It's totally possible. It that didn't and just didn't feel as satisfying to me as the reason
2: it it worked for me is because we're dealing with cosmic forces, and but not when I say cosmic forces, I don't mean like crazy supernatural stuff. I mean the weight of the cosmos weighing us down. You know what I mean? Just like the idea that we're so small and insignificant and we can't do anything. There's no life after death. Nihilism. It's pointless. Everything is pointless. Mm-hmm. And there, it's everything's out of our control um, because the world, the universe is so big. And I think the really poignant comment at the end is that you know, they got Errol. What, what is his name? Errol? Um, Errol. But they Errol can't, Childress. They can't get everyone else, and it doesn't matter. You know, they can't get everyone else. They're not going to get everyone else. Um, the universe is too big, but if you can get a slice of it, if you can get a piece of it, if you can solve one problem, you're still m- making a point. You know, you don't have to be you're a nihilist. you a hole
1: in the darkness. Exactly, yeah, and that's, that. that's why
2: it worked to me. You have to have this really grand fabric that can't be put to rest. You can't solve the case. The case is not closed because it's so expansive, sure, like the sure. universe. So.
0: Yeah, and there's definitely people out there who are still doing the child raping cult thing because there's somebody killing off whoever sees the evidence, and we never saw anything to suggest it was this crazy person.
1: Wait, so it's sees like, the, wait, Wait, what?
0: Well, because someone killed Billy Ray Tuttle when they realized that Rust had stole the safe, and... Uh that was faked to look like a drug of overdose which doesn't seem like something our insane serial killer can do so the cult is still out there yeah but like what this did was basically add to the theme that you said you found really interesting about how someone's father can basically change what it means to be a man for you and in this case not establish it for you at all and you become this weird carrie Grant my mimicking serial killer. James
1: Mason mimicking. I've seen... James Mason.
0: (laughs) I I called him H.G. Lovecraft before. Let's not (laughs) uh, wait on it. You say what you Um, want. Yeah,
1: I I mean, the idea of, like, the system being in place, like, that's something that the wire does so well. I guess I just... I guess child murdering cult is not the most interesting place I thought it could have gone. And I got at a certain point, you know, they're climbing through Carcosa, and it's so the set design of that is so terrifying and unlike anything you can even imagine a crazy person doing. But I kind of embrace the metaphor, especially when you know he gets inside and like sees a black hole or whatever it is he sees. That and
2: is I'm all. That was amazing. That I love that. That
1: was amazing. I love kind of trips into metaphor like that. I mean, and we'd seen that before. He'd been having visions. Um, I it's guess very I just take shelter
2: esque, don't you think?
1: Yeah, kind oh. of, and that like that part totally works for me, and I and I get that it needs to be something bigger, I guess. Just child murdering cult, kind of like the sleeping with another man's wife. It seemed like an easier way out than a lot of the other routes where the show had not seemed to take the easy way out.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, this was just our method of looking at evil, and yeah. it was what it was needed to get Russ to see the cosmic horror, which for him he got out of. But yeah, when I saw little black stars orbiting that black hole he saw, I I literally giggled <laughs> just at the lovecraftiness of it's, it all.
2: It's interesting to hear you say that it took a simple route when we weren't expecting it to. And I don't really know what in the the text of the show really leads us to believe that true detective is going to go on some crazy take some crazy route. But even I had that same feeling. I think it, again, is that in be- those in-between moments where people are trying to fill the conversation, they want to keep talking about True Detective, so we kind of project onto it and we're hoping it takes these wild turns. But, you know, I've seen Nick Pizzolatto say that he just loves simplicity, and it makes me wonder if this show was kind of rolled out like Netflix House of Cards, if we had it all in one binge-watching consumption, if we would have a different... Um, idea on its success I, or or its arcs I with, with the characters.
1: I disagree with the idea that the House of Cards method is the way to do something like this because we didn't know what kind of show this was. We didn't know if True Detective was going to go crazy because we'd never seen it, a season of it before, and it did have Russ seeing a black hole in the universe. I mean, there was weird shit going on. I think it was just a matter of people learning how to watch the show. I hope that when the the second season comes along. The speculation will go in a different direction. People will know more of what to expect. I wouldn't – I like the weekly discussion. I like being able to really look back over this really heavy-duty text and maybe watch one of, you know, Russ' speeches a time or two before the next episode. I think that's valuable for a show like this.
0: Yeah. I think that it was – really enjoyable i mean it no it knew that it was a complete story and it didn't know how we were going to interact with it so a lot of the literary techniques it did to string us along from week to week you know having an unreliable narrator for the first half and then sort of getting rid of what we thought the mystery was for the second half and then sort of stringing along a mystery through time jumps for the last you know third um I think those storytelling tropes would have worked regardless of how you digested it. The question is, is would you have been able to discuss it with the hive mind in the same sort of way? And I think that's what you're actually losing by not having everybody forced to wait a week is you have to go talk to people.
2: Um, Just to wrap up, I want to throw two super quick questions out to, to all of us. One, did you have a favorite moment from this first season? And two, is there any lingering question that you still have that you wish they had tied up or become became more in focus or something like that?
0: Um, I'll go first. Good. Uh, uh, <laughs> death created time. So we would have things to kill Cl- instantly classic for the rest of my life. I will <laughs> remember that line. And, um, no, because I think all the answers are actually in the series, and I look forward to rewatching ah. it and connecting the rest of the of the threads. For some I reason, I am surprised.
2: I am just surprised that you. I mean, you you've been prepared by Lost to let this go. So
0: oh, I say. could answer all the questions about Lost at this point too, <laughs> but okay. that's for
2: another week. So, so can I? Yeah. I think, and I am also curious. You, you didn't seem um, offended by any of of True Detectives, uh, pull, Culling from comic books which it seems to be highly influenced by. I saw many people discussing Alan Moore's top 10 uh, this past week, which is a favorite comic of mine. It's so good. And that should be a season of True Detective. If you have never read that, I highly recommend seeking it out. It is bizarre and crazy and fun. Have you read it?
0: I I have read it, and I agree. And we should have a discussion about... Alan Moore because I have some podcasts and some interviews you should read. <laughs> He's a big M theory dude, which it makes complete sense why he would end up in the true detective universe. But I also want to give Katie a chance to answer yes. her questions now that oh, she's
1: sure. Um I, I I need to rewatch to kind of catch my dialogue moments because I feel like a lot of that went by in a blur. But in terms of the style, there's obviously the big tracking shot, but the uh the end of the episode in which they have that fight and then uh he, they meet each other on the road and it's, it focuses on the Birkin tail taillight as they drive away and you kind of see McConaughey's face in the rearview mirror. It's such incredibly precise camera work. And then it also says so much about the fact that he hasn't had that taillight fixed in the intervening decade that I thought was really amazing and really simple compared to some of the bravura camera work they'd done. Um, and in terms of unanswered stuff, I mean, I don't know that I wanted to linger more on the child murdering cult, but I feel like that would have made me feel a little more like I had been told a complete story about these villains as well. I, I still feel like I don't buy what was motivating them beyond this one kind of poor m- abused guy living in the woods. So that's, that would maybe, be my one lingering thing that I think could have been done better.
2: Maybe Nick pizzolato will write novellas about the past.
1: Oh God. See, I, I don't want <laughs> to read them. Fiction. I kind of want to wash my hands of those right. people,
2: but also yeah. I've been told we're not supposed to call it a tracking shot anymore because no track was actually used
0: Oh, oh a shut a long, the fuck it's a up! Long take. Let's not to... get into that. From what, that what is to call it, <laughs> that's idiotic. If you know what I'm talking about when I say tracking shot,
2: that's good enough. I, for me. I agree with you. I was just making that comment because it's, it's awesome trolling. It's awesome technical trolling. Um, <laughs> and just to wrap up, my favorite moment would have to be obviously the the um, tent, the tent revival talk where uh, yeah. Rusty just like takes down religion while. <laughs> um, wow, what's his name? Oh God, I should really learn. Jay Wiggum. What was that?
1: Jay Wiggum? the Reverend. Yes, yes, yes. The actor.
2: Yes, he's. I mean, he's everywhere like everywhere, everywhere these, days. these days. I know it's in, it's crazy. James so twice, he's so good. We've done it
1: on Family Feud.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he he's so good in that scene while Rust while Matthew McConaughey delivers his takedown. I just adore that. And my biggest lingering question from True Detective is how many people own VHS players in 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 2014 or whenever the present day is or VCRs I should say man I can't even remember um they they take that tape not only does Rust own one in his storage unit but then they go to the boat in the final episode and show the guy the tape and he has <laughs> oh, yeah. there's a VCR on his boat and I'm like that makes I no even sense didn't
1: think about that
2: That's bullshit that's So great. Uh, That's great Take that this Show is a second. fraud Here's
1: that does it for today's fighting in the war room we'll be back on friday with nymphomaniac speaking of things that are disturbing and uh i don't know like vhs play what else is there's a lot of things involved in true detective and nymphomaniac i'm sure of it it's gonna be a lot of overlap um and i'm slightly scared (laughs) but we will be talking about that in the meantime tell the people who you are
2: I am Matt Patches, rogue agent of the internet, writing all over the place. and putting it on my site, mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter, at MrPatches. And remember, um, if you want to support the podcast or help new listeners discover it or leave us some nice comments or critiques, Go on iTunes. Leave us a review. Uh, we really want to know what you think. And we're not going to beg you for a star rating, but it, it obviously helps. Um, and maybe this week, recommend Fighting in the War Room to a friend. Because friends love fighting in the war room. Friends too love fighting.
0: Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spelled that first part, DA70. That's also my Twitter handle. I write about superhero movie news for the most part over at latino-review.com. I'm about to unleash a whole bunch of lost on you in a way that you you don't even understand. But, until then, you should interact with us and get in on the fighting in yourself with your very own voice at 914-410-6450 Leave your Twitter handle, ask a question, tell us we're stupid. If you have a legitimate reason for telling us we're stupid, we might put you on the air.
1: And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich. And you can find the entire... Into- oh, and also at Vanity Fair. I totally neglected to find my own place. Um, You can also find all of us on Twitter at FITWR, where you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was?
0: In honor of Need for Speed, what's a cinematic moment that gave you a visceral reaction?
1: Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday.